You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. I had a small testimony from the worship school, the burn night that we snuck into. (laughs) Illegitimately, John Crumpton snuck us through the back things because we didn't realize it wasn't an open event. Um, there. Back door. Thanks, Sean. There. Um, I'll sit a little. But um, during one of the times between sets, somebody, a guy came and found me on the other side of the room, and he said that um, he said he saw me with a, a pot of honey that I was like stirring with my finger like this, and then I was just like flicking, <laughs> flicking, and sharing sweetness. So. I'm trusting that that's what today will be, that the Holy Spirit will just like be dishing out sweetness. Um, I didn't realize, I didn't click at the time, but it's part of what I'm speaking about today. So, um, yeah. Hey? Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> cool. Um, so, what I wanted to talk about today is salvation, joy, and practicing the presence of God. Um, a little while ago, I logged on to uh, Facebook, and somebody I admire quite, I held him in high esteem. His status was, um, let joy be your compass. And I just love that, because we need joy to navigate through our daily lives, don't we? So let us be drawn to joy. And the question is, how much joy am I experiencing in my life right now? How much joy are you experiencing in your day-to-day life right now? Because personally, I really want to experience a whole lot more. I do experience, but you can't get to the end of joy, can you? You always can deal with more joy. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. But today I'm wanting to highlight on joy. That's my focus. So what it's saying there really is that the measure of joy that we have in our lives right now is linked directly to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the same can be said of love, peace, patience and that. But as I said, I'm, I'm focusing on joy. So in other, t- in other words, if we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we will experience joy. Experience joy, not hope for joy. We will experience it. And so a question for me and for you in this season of our lives of what we're going through is how much, what fruit are you displaying? Are you displaying the fruit of joy in whatever you're going through? And I'm trusting if you're not, this is a wonderful invitation to come into joy today. You know, Matthew, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added So the question is, well, what is the kingdom of God? And it tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, right? These are all internal things. And so we are encouraged to seek the kingdom of God from within so that rivers of living water would flow from our bellies. We had that word in the prayer time before, this bubbling up. Because when we seek uh, first the kingdom, it's joy that bubbles up. 
there's been images of champagne and corks popping and little bubbles Vida had. I don't know where Vida is now. That on her way here, she felt like the Lord said, no, it's about joy today. Not knowing, you know. She had these like bubbles bubbling up. So if you think of a compass, so if joy is the compass, what is a compass's job? To constantly always be seeking out true north, right? And our design is also to seek out Jesus, our true north. It's in our DNA to be seeking him out permanently. And when we find him, we are filled with joy. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. The problem is that the world is full of magnets, isn't it? And you know what a magnet does to a, a compass? It pulls it all over the place. So we've got these, these magnets, or can I call it distractions, that end up messing with our compass. Messes with our bearings of where true north is, where joy is. So how's your joy today? If you don't have joy, most likely you've got a couple of magnets that are pulling at you and distracting you and not allowing you to find true north. Because in Jesus there is joy. Friends, we mustn't justify our stress, our anxieties, and the things that rob our joy. Sometimes we justify them. No, those are red flags. Red flags that we are off course, right? Um, I say here that it's like a bold signpost. Actually, not as a warning. It's a bold signpost as an invitation for you to come back into Jesus' presence in those times. Because it's our inheritance that we get to experience love, peace, joy, and so on. And the Holy Spirit is constantly showing us that path. It's his job, constantly pulling us onto that, onto that path. It says in uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures evermore. Isn't that good? Pleasures evermore. So his promise there is, find his presence, and what? You'll experience the fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. It's not theory. It's experience, right? So I'm wanting to talk into two areas today. One, that salvation is experiential. And two, practicing the presence of God. Now I read this book, uh, I mentioned it last week, Tim Keller's The Prodigal God. And um, he's talking there of a, a father that throws a feast for his returning son. And he says this about that feast. There are four ways to experience a feast that correspond to the ways our lives will be shaped by the gospel message of Jesus, or Jesus' gospel message. One, salvation is experiential. Two, it's material. Material world matters. Three, it's individual. And four, it's communal. And I just wanted to read an excerpt from his book um, just to outline how he explains why it is experiential. It's a good Presbyterian theology, right? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is that Jesus came to bring festival joy. He is the real, true master of the banquet. 
the Lord of the feast. As we have seen, Jesus took the penalty for our sin for us in our place. Christian theologians have therefore often spoke about the law court aspect of Jesus' salvation. Jesus secures the legal verdict, not guilty, for us so that we are no longer liable for our wrongdoings. However, salvation is not only objective and legal, but it is also subjective and experiential. The Bible insists on using sensory language about salvation. It calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good, not only to agree and believe it, have some honey, have some honey. In his famous sermon, <laughs> A Divine and Supernatural Light by Jonathan, Ed uh, Jonathan Edwards said, there is a difference between believing that God is holy and gracious and having a new sense on the heart of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. The difference between believing that God is gracious and tasting that he is gracious is as different as having a rational belief that honey is sweet and having an actual sense of its sweetness. Jesus' salvation is a feast, and therefore when we believe in and rest in his work for us, through the Holy Spirit, he becomes real to our hearts. His love is like honey or wine. Rather than only believing that he is loving, we can come to sense the reality, the beauty, the power of his love. His love can become more real to you than the love of anyone else. It can delight, galvanize, and console you. That will lift you up and free you from fear like nothing else. That makes all the difference. If you are filled with shame and guilt, if you are filled with shame and guilt today in this room, you do not merely need to believe in the abstract concept of God's mercy. You must sense on the palate of your heart, as it were, the sweetness of his mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, we get to taste the honey now. It's part of our inheritance. Psalm 19 says, uh, verse 10, the rarest of treasures of life are found in his truth. That's why I prize God's word. Um, like others prize the finest gold. Nothing brings the soul such sweetness as seeking his, his living words. So my point today is to raise our expectation for an experiential Christianity, something that we sense with our bodies, our minds, and our souls, so that we're not just in a place where we book smart, but street smart, right? Where we don't just pray for joy, but we actually experience joy. Because that's ours as heirs of this kingdom. Galatians 4 verse 7 tells us, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And as an heir, you need to know what is rightfully yours, don't you? You need to rightfully know that salvation is not an out there ethereal thing to believe on and a way of, um, uh, an out there way of living and an out there sense of belief. It's tangible, it's uh, material, and it's sweeter than honey. Romans 8 verse 11, ESV says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells through you. It's very material 
what the Holy Spirit does in us. And then in Proverbs 15, it says, Eyes that focus on that which is beautiful bring joy to the heart. And hearing a good report refreshes and strengthens the inner being. The Hebrew there means making, um, makes fat your bones, is the picture of the inner being. How, how amazing is that? And so some would say, it's not all about your experiences, right? It's about the Word. And exactly. And so let's see what the Word says. Because the Word does give us permission as heirs to live a life filled with the pleasures of God. Psalm 34, verse 8. Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies He gives to all who turn to hide themselves in Him. And where are we hidden? Okay? Right in Him. Not the pleasures of this world. It's the pleasures of God that we get to enjoy. So the gospel of Jesus is meant to be like sweet honey to us. For us to taste that. To be like wine to us. To intoxicate us actually in His love. Have you ever experienced that? Being intoxicated in His love. Because if you haven't ever been drunk in love with him, don't stop asking. Because if you seek, you will find and experience his joys and pleasures. Um, many years ago, I was in a, a conference and the, the guy who was leading it was just reading out Song of Songs. Like literally, I think he read out the whole book of, of Song of Songs. And I mean, that was... I think for the first time in that way that the love of Jesus just came over me and just changed me. Um, and I think those of you that know me from when that was back then, like literally it was just like wet eyes every time his presence came out over me and yeah, giggling like a little girl. A little girl. <laughs> but like literally over that time, I would be driving and then suddenly... Just, I remember hitting Oxford once and then just suddenly like the Lord's presence come on me and just start laughing and like just, you know me as a, a teary guy. <laughs> but I think it was like Jesus' love was just made so real to me over that time, hearing the Song of Songs, that love feast book of the Bible as it was read over me and I got to actually partake of that, understand my union with Jesus. And it was like that there was this head knowledge and some knowledge suddenly became revelation and heart knowledge to me. And yeah, it's just like, it's different. It's like liquid honey flowing right through your body. And um, some of the translations in the Bible call this bliss. Others, inexpressible joys. Psalm 65 says, And your priestly lovers, those you've chosen, will be greatly favored to be brought close to you. What inexpressible joys are theirs? What feasts of mercy fill them in your heavenly sanctuary? How satisfied we will be just to be near you. Let's simplify it. Quite simply, it's just enjoying his presence, yeah. right? Enjoying his presence. And it's experiential, not intellectual. And there's been a season where I've gone through a... Not dry-eyed, but a less wet-eyed time, <laughs> right? Less giggly. 
And why is that? It's because of these magnets that are pulling us off from true north. Distractions of this, distractions from that, and um, oh. and so this is a, a good indication. Martin Luther, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. This just came up recently. Bill Johnson um, posted that, and he says here, hearing the gospel recalibrates the compass of our hearts to true north. It reminds us why we're alive, what is important in God's eyes, and what's to become important in ours. God's heart and our purpose becomes defined in hearing the simplicity, the purity, and the power of the gospel every day. We need to come back to that true north of the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel, which what does what? Brings us straight into his presence. We need to actively pursue and go after Jesus. It doesn't just get saved and that's it. We need to look into the mirror that is Jesus and remind ourselves of who we are in him, friends. Tim Keller's book, this... Um, sorry, would you mind putting it back onto... This one, yeah. No, no? Thank you. Um, sorry about that. Just uh, Tim Keller's book, the prodigal, Rem uh, the prodigal God. As I said last week, as I read this again, the sort of pure, undiluted gospel message, it was just like that fresh reminder, like an, a magnet was removed, and suddenly it was that fresh reminder. And yeah, I feel for me, there's change in the air, right? After we, when we read the gospel. Because it's a gospel that invites us to the right hand of the Father. Colossians 1, uh, 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus seated? The right hand of God. And where are we seated? Ephesians 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us to the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. We are seated in Jesus right next to the Father. And what happens right next to the Father? Read Psalm 16 tells us, You make known the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. So good. Your friends, when we seek his face and we find his face, we find pleasures, untold pleasures. As I said, you get what you go after, right? I was looking, if I, just as a practical demonstration, I, I went looking for my first car that I ever, ever had. So I went into Google and typed in black car, and I got that. <laughs> it wasn't my first car. <laughs> then I typed in uh, black car opal, and I got that, but that also not my first car. Then I typed in black opal record, and I got that. Yeah? Is that car? No, it's not that one. 
Then I typed in black Opel Record 1960, and boom, there's my car. <laughs> yeah, my honey wagon. <laughs> I think that's how I got Kirsty. Eh? Eh? It's true. Eh? It was a good time. <laughs> but the point is, you get what you go after. As you search and you search and you search, you get what you go after, right? Matthew 7 tells us that, that we will find. But in order to find, you need to search. We need to be going and looking and encountering Jesus every day. And we get the privilege of doing that every day, going out and seeking his presence. And some call it practicing the presence of God. Paul Johnson wrote a book, Hosting the Presence of God. Um, and I've come across this word, practicing the presence of God, a few times recently, and that felt a little bit unusual, like practice. Like, don't you, you practice golf and tennis and piano? Like, how do you practice the presence of God? So I actually went, I went and looked it up, and um, Paul tells us to practice a lot. Philippians 4, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Timothy, speaking to Timothy, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your, your progress. Now, the definition of practice is the actual application or use of a belief, or an idea. The actual application of a belief. You see, we can't approach the busyness of life, hectic things going on with theories. We actually have to practically apply them, and that takes practice every day. You know, last Sunday I slipped a disc when picking up this table, and so I woke up on Monday morning and I was like in tears. I could hardly get out of bed. Tears of pain, not the wet eye tears, the other ones. <laughs> and like, got an appointment with the doctor, got to the shower to get ready, and I just started laughing actually in the shower because I'm like, We've got stuff that we need to break at work. And I'm like, in this time, I can't do anything. So, Lord, this week, this is actually wonderful. I get to lie down, and you get to go out and fight my battles. And so literally applying, just applying the truth in that moment when your back's out on a Monday morning, when magnets are trying to pull at you and distract you and pull you off course, it's in those places that we actually get to find his joy. And, um, and laugh in those places. Um, have you guys heard of Brother Lawrence? Yes. Most of you, it sounds like. So he was a, a 17th century French monk, and he wrote this book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a, a 17th century French monk, it conjures up a certain type of image in my head, right? <laughs> Like stoic, religious, serious, you know, maybe a little bit of beating every now and again, <laughs> self-agitation. But literally nothing can be further from the truth um, about this guy. And I'm going to read a few portions out of this book just to whet your appetites of what is possible in the presence of God. Um, he says here, <clears throat> And I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention 
and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul of God, which often causes me joys and raptures inwardly, and sometimes so also outwardly, so great that I am forced to use means to moderate them and prevent their appearance to others. Right? <laughs> now, I actually just looked it up in worship now, because I remembered Paul as well, and he has something similar that he says about that, right? This is not just some weird French monk. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5. If we, this is Paul speaking. If we are out of our minds in a blissful divine ecstasy, it is for God. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. <laughs> yeah? That's the Passion Translation. And then I thought, oh yeah, but that's just way too much passion. So I thought, let me look it up in King James. It says here, for whether we be besides ourselves... It is to God. Okay, now what does be beside ourselves mean? He goes on to say, or whether we be sober. So in other words, <laughs> being beside yourself is not sober. It is for your cause, for the love of Christ. Now, he uses the word there, these raptures inwardly. Now, we associate the word rapture with like end times, very serious stuff, right? Left behind. So... Rapture is a feeling of intense pleasure or joy. Synonyms, ecstasy, bliss, euphoria, um, elation, joy, delight. You know? And so we might look at that and say, okay, well, he's a monk. You know? He probably had a lot of time. I live in the real world. I've got a real job. Like, okay, sure, that's really nice, nice for him. But the thing is, he also had a real job in the monastery, not just any job, one that he was not particularly fond of, even. He was a cook and a cobbler. And uh, it says in this book, he says, So likewise, in his business in the kitchen, going about his work, to which he had a naturally a great aversion, <laughs> having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God and with prayer upon all occasions, for his grace to do his work well, he had found everything easy during the 15 years that he had been employed there. 15 years in a job that you don't really like, but he found it easy in the presence of God. Thanks. So I want to just point out that he's not superhuman. His mind also wondered. He says, when outward business, doing his work, diverted him a little from the thought of God, just a fresh remembrance coming from God invested in his soul and so inflamed and transported him that it was difficult for him to contain himself. <laughs> Isn't that good? Just a fresh reminder of the gospel transported him. Transported was one of the synonyms for rapture that I read earlier, right? Joy, bliss. How cool is that? When he's in God's presence, intense pleasure. When he forgets about God... Just a little fresh reminder, intense pleasure. Every moment of life is an invitation to joy. Not a working up to, just a fresh reminder. Oh, I'm there again, right next to the Father. That the most excellent method he had found of going to God 
was that of doing our common business. Doing our common business, guys, without any view of pleasing man. And, as far as we are capable, purely for the love of God. That it was a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from the other times. And so he writes this very, I think it's a fun poem. Lord, of all the pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. <laughs> Thus, Brother Lawrence was able to turn even the most commonplace and menial task into a living hymn to the glory of God. Lord of the pots and pans. Isn't that good? <laughs> because we can find Jesus in every part of our everyday life. As Brother Lawrence had found such an advantage in walking in the presence of God, it was natural for him to recommend it earnestly to others. But his example was a stronger inducement than any argument he could propose. His very countenance was edifying, just being around him. <clears throat> Such a sweet and calm devotion appearing in it, as could not but affect the beholders. I've heard, I think Vida even said this once before, that people used to come and watch him wash up the pots and pans. <laughs> Can you imagine us going and like watching Bill Johnson wash up the pots and pans and just like <laughs> be edified by his presence? And it was observed that in the greatest hurry of business in the kitchen, he still persevered his recollection and, um, and heavenly mindedness. He was never hasty nor loitering, but did each thing in its season with an even uninterrupted composure and tranquility of spirit. This is him speaking now. The time of business, he said, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling me for different things, you can identify, eh? I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees <laughs> in the blessed sacrament. Eh? In the blessed sacrament. Friends, it's our inheritance as the ones co-seated with Jesus to find the presence of Jesus in our everyday moments, in the busyness. Not for a specific outcome, not by a means to an end, but just for the love of our incredible, incredible Savior. That He's brought us into such an incredible union with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That He had always been governed by love, without selfish views, and that having resolved to make the love of God the end of all his actions, he had found reasons to be well satisfied with his method, so that he was pleased when he could take up a straw from the ground for the love of God, seeking him only, and nothing else, not even his gifts. So today, I'm not wanting to get into any formulas of how you practice the presence of God. I'm just really wanting to whet our appetites and create an expectation that we can commune with Him all day, yeah. not just in moments of the day, that we can experience the joy and bliss of the Father, the pleasures forevermore all day, and that we'd actually get to a place of tasting, tasting and seeing that He is good. As He said there, that we would make the love of God the end of all of our actions and seek Him only and nothing else, not even His gift. Because the byproduct of that is inexpressible joy. 
And I want to say that it's legal and it's on the menu for Christian life. <laughs> that you can get what you go after, an experiential love relationship with Jesus. And we know from Scripture that we are all being invited to this wonderful feast. Now, he was a normal guy, a very normal guy. This is what he says of himself. I consider myself as the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruption, and who had committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Touched with a sensible regret, I confess to him all my wickedness. I ask his forgiveness. I abandon myself in his hands, that I may do what he pleases with me. The king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways. And he treats me in all respects as his favorite. Aren't we all his favorites? It is thus that I consider myself from time to time to be in his holy presence. My most usual method is this simple attention and such a general passionate regard, uh, such a passionate regard to God, to whom I find myself often attached with greater sweetness and delight than that of an infant at the mother's breast. So that if I dare use the expression, I should choose to call that state the bosom of God, for the inexpressible sweetness which I taste and experience there. If sometimes my thoughts wander from it by necessity or infirmity, I am presently recalled by my inward motions, so charming and delicious that I am ashamed to mention them. Okay? He goes on to say, were I a preacher, I should above all things preach the practice of the presence of God. And were I a director, I should advise all the world to do it. So necessary do I think it is. And so easy too. Isn't that good? So easy too. Friends, we mustn't overcomplicate this. You need not cry out very loud, he says. He is nearer than us, uh, to us than we are aware of. I said that there are no formulas. But I think maybe you could actually interpret Brother Lawrence's method, he calls it. He says, we cannot escape the, the dangers which abound in life. We can't escape them. Without the actual and continual help of God, let us then pray to him for it continually. And how can we pray to him without being with him? How can we be with him but, but in thinking of him often? And how can we think of, often think of him but by a holy habit by which we should form of it. You will tell me that I am always saying the same thing. He's, this is letters he's writing to people. Always saying the same thing, and it's true. For this is the best and easiest method I know, and use no other. I advise all the world to do it. We must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of Him. And when we come to love Him, we shall then often think of Him often. For our heart will be with our treasure. This is an argument which well deserves your consideration. So good, eh? So him and his method, this is what is said of him. He is now so accustomed to that divine presence 
that he receives from it continual secures, is it? On all, upon all occasions. It's good stuff. For about, <laughs> for about 30 years, his soul has been filled with joy so continual, 30 years, and sometimes so great that he is forced to use means to moderate them and to hinder their appearing, them appearing outwardly. And I've had moments like that, actually this morning. As I said, my little girl giggling moments. Um, Jude's like, Dad, you cannot do that in the service. <laughs> I was just reading through this, and it just the Lord touched me, and he's like, no, we need to compose ourselves sometimes. You know? Dad, don't do that. But who over here doesn't want to be overtaken with inexplicable joy? Hey? All of us, surely, right? And it was obviously the 17th century was a good time because that's when the, the Westminster uh, Catechism was written by um, this English and Scottish theologians. And then they wrote the Shorter Catechism to instruct kids and the lay folk, not the minister. I think the longer one was for the, the, the educated. And then for the lay folk and for the kids, they wrote 107 question and answer to make it practical for people. And what was the first one and the most famous of that Westminster Shorter Catechism? Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Simple. So I just wanted to whet appetites today, really, because, as I said, I've been through a season where I've, I've known His sweet presence in such an incredibly tangible way, and then not. And when you come back, a reminder of the pure, undiluted gospel that puts us right at the right hand of the Father, where there are pleasures forevermore, and we actually get to taste it. Don't settle for anything else. Now, experiencing the presence of God, the joy of Jesus, is not a standard. It's not like, oh, well, I haven't experienced that. I don't experience things like that. But you do experience joy, right? Which means you can experience His joy. And so as we take the pressure off, and literally for no other reason, just come and find the face of the Father, knowing that it's on the Christian menu, it's part of our inheritance, to have delights, the delight of the Father. Scriptures say, delight yourself in the Lord. It's something that we actually get to physically manifest. Joy, not just healings, and all of these wonderful things. Joy in difficult times is our inheritance. Here we stand. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.